All right. Well, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord God, we have the opportunity, the privilege, and the challenge of discussing peacemaking and uh, reconciliation once again. We pray that uh, you'd let our uh, discussions and our questions and the teaching uh, be done with grace and wisdom and that we thoughtfully consider these things. Uh, it just doesn't get more practical than, than some of these things. And so we pray that you would uh, help us find the good tools that your word has provided us to think well about such things and that we'd be faithful to put our hand to the plow in using those. So bless our time together, we ask in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so last time, just a very briefest of uh, reviews while I look for my control here. Oh, man, I forgot that thing doesn't work up there. <sighs> Again, I have to say, on my computer, that does not look like that. I didn't look at that and say that looks like excellence, okay? I don't know what happened to that background, but okay. Um, okay, so I spent a little bit of time justifying the series. Why are we studying peacemaking, and I, and I outlined a couple of reasons, uh, the, the devastating effects of being a bad peacemaker, the call to be unified in the scripture, how challenging it is, to, honestly, to be a good peacemaker, all the rest. And then the, the, substance, the more substantive part, I would say, of our time together last time was discussing kind of what we call the fire and the gasoline. That is to say, the kind of background, underlying, always there kind of issues not to be confused with a fire yet, because I'm about to burn a huge, huge pile of wood in my backyard, and uh, I'm about to soak it with kerosene, and at that point, I'll have wood, and I'll have fuel, but there still won't be a fire. So today, we're going to move in and talk about the spark, how we get to the spark, and then we're going to talk about unhealthy ways to resolve conflict before looking at a biblical paradigm that we'll go on to tease out in the rest of um, the first half of this Sunday School series. Uh, so remember, we talked about the battle of the heart, James 4, 1, Galatians 5, that, that every day is a battle for my heart, that my desires are warring against each other. Which desire is going to win today? The desire to do what I want to do, the desire to do what the Lord wants me to do in the case where those are two different things. We talked about the de desire demand transition. I desire this thing, and now I'm, uh, uh, I'm expecting this thing, I deserve this thing, I'm demanding this thing. And then finally, just the consummate focus on self and individualism we find in our culture. And I would say in our culture, even more so than, than some other cultures, at least cultures that aren't in the West. I mean, the West has a particular focus on individualism, where in the East it's not, uh, uh, not quite the same. So remember that disagreement doesn't necessarily lead to conflict, okay? Disagreement itself doesn't necessarily lead to conflict. There has to be a spark that sets off the wood and the gasoline. So let's just briefly talk about what those are. My guess is if we took a raise of hands, probably identify a lot of these just very, very briefly. So the first is just when diversity collides. Now notice I didn't say when diversity coexists. You can have diversity coexisting. When diversity collides, uh, usually in terms of an agenda, usually what this happens is how are we going to do something or how should we respond to something? So now we're at the point of taking action. And one person has a particular understanding and desires and a preferred future and all the rest. And this person has a different set. They're mutually exclusive. Hey, what are you going to do? Okay. You can either have a conflict. You're going to compromise if you, have, if you end up having to work together. Or maybe it's a just one idea is going to win out. And so now we've, got, now we've got conflict. 
Okay, what about communication breakdown? Has this ever happened in your house? I'm not sure. Um, there is a conflict because there is some kind of misunderstanding. Well, I, ex- I didn't, maybe it was something that was unsaid that was just kind of expected. It was like, well, I, I really had to say that to, for you to do. It's like, oh, well, and I just, well, I assumed that you, I mean, you've been doing this for so long. I just thought that whatever the case may be. Oh, no. Um, you know, I, I, when you said this, what I thought you meant was this. Oh, no, no, no. What I really meant was Y, not X. Oh, now I've, now I've realized I've, I was upset for nothing. Well, well, you know, I didn't, it wasn't what you said. It was how you said it. I was like, I said it just like this. No, you didn't. You said it, you said it like this. I was like, no, I don't, I don't talk like that. I just, you know, so communication, communication breakdown. And that could be at a level of just English sentences that aren't spoken clearly to, to I'm trying to read the undertone of what somebody is saying, okay? Because a lot of communication is nonverbal, right? A lot of communication is nonverbal, it's my posturing. It can certainly be my tone, but but conflict. What, what, so you take the gasoline and the wood of my my sinful heart, my 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 agenda, what I want to do for the day, and now I have a communication breakdown that really frustrates all of that. Someone says something to me, and perhaps it feels like number three, a provocation. This is probably the most obvious spark. This could be a direct provocation, being that is to say, being provoked. Someone could uh, maybe someone explodes in anger on you. Maybe someone starts hurling insults on your already existing gasoline and wood pile. Someone, uh, again, is, is rude, some kind of very obvious provocation. And then finally, I just put these triggers. Now, I don't, I, I, this is kind of a catch-all, okay? Uh, and, and what I mean by a trigger is an indirect or an even unintended provocation of sorts. Um, I'll give you an example. I have a friend who, this is of course years ago now, but he, I reminded him of his, I believe it was his cousin, and he couldn't, and he had a very bad history with his cousin. Um, and he was honest one day and said, man, I just have to be honest with you. You just, I have a, just a, a knee-jerk reaction away from you because you, your personality and just kind of your, your, the way you even like your mannerisms and even some of the things you say just remind me of my cousin. And so I was like, oh my goodness, why have I done anything? And he was very quick to say, I'm not saying you've done anything. He's like, when I examine these things, the kinds of things that you say are not like what he says. When I examine, but I just have this, I am set off by just some of the, just the way you carry yourself. It doesn't, I'm not in, he's not off, he wasn't offering me any correction. He wasn't telling me he was rebuking me. He wasn't saying anything was wrong. He was just saying, you remind me of something that just kind of makes me feel like this, okay? Um, maybe someone associate, associates something you said with something dangerous or hurtful. You use a phrase, you use a phrase, for example, that someone associates with some harmful organization or teacher or person or oppressive political or, or religious group, and, and someone is just saying, they don't even, they have no idea that they're using this loaded terminology, and when you hear, it's like, oh, these are one of, it's one of these people, um, something like that. Uh, maybe it's something hurtful from their past or present. 
and you do something that, hey, this happened, this used to happen in our family, but when it happened in our family, I was being, I was being shut down and I, or I was being oppressed in this particular way. And so when someone says, hey, why don't we, you know, I feel like when I feel like ever I'm being tone policed, I feel like I'm being oppressed and whatever, because I was shut down in my family and I was never allowed to express any emotion. Um, and so this kind of thing can set me off when someone's like, maybe we should come back to this. Uh, maybe we should come back to this later. Maybe you're just at the end of a really bad day and your kids start screaming and crying and for no reason uh, that makes sense to you at least, and uh, you're just done. You're just done. It's like you know, it's unrelated. This is where you say it's not about you or it's, oh, it wasn't this thing. It was all these other things, and then finally there was just one, like, you were just one little piece of straw on your back away from losing it. And so this is why I say a, tr a trigger, okay, uh, as opposed to the some of these others. Any other, let me just say, any other sparks that you can think of? I've tried to be, uh, I guess, triggers and making it so general is cheating a little bit, but what are some of these other, uh, what are some other sparks that can ignite conflict? Can you think of any? Yeah. Great point. Yeah, excellent. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so the for the video here, the, the comment was, if you experience chronic pain, that can just wear you down. That can start wearing you thin, um, and, and certainly. And even, for, forget chronic pain, when I stub my toe on the side of my bedpost and my pinky toe gets turned this way, I mean, that can all of a sudden cause me to lose all, my, all the patience I had, at least up until that moment. Uh, but certainly chronic pain day after day after day, absolutely. And sick, maybe someone who's is continually sick as well. I remember the most impatient I've ever been in my whole life is when I had flu and mono at the same time. It was terrible. I was just like, I, I, I did not, uh, I didn't have my best showing. Okay, I didn't have my best showing. Anything else? Great. Any other sparks that 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 you can think of that really ignite, set off things? Yeah, Michael. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, okay, yeah, so, so, yeah, and we're going to, yeah, that, yeah, so it could, that could come in a variety of ways, but it, yeah, it rubs your pride, or it hurts your pride, maybe it just hurts you, it hurts your feelings, hurt your pride, sometimes those overlap, and you're just, now you're in fighting mode, yeah, really good, yeah, Jesse, did you have one more, yes, sir, anger, certainly, yeah, certainly anger, and uh, certainly prolonged anger, uh, can can cause uh, a spark. Okay, well, let's, so here's what I was just actually mentioning this to Glenn down the hallway. It, it dawned on me as I was preparing for this that everyone has learned, everyone learns, this is a matter of socialization and growing up, everyone learns how to resolve conflict by watching other people do it. It's not something that anyone is born doing. You watched, it, it could have been, where did you learn it from? I don't know. I don't know your background. Maybe you watched your parents resolve conflict, or maybe they didn't resolve any conflict. They just moved on, okay? Uh, maybe uh, you watch, you learn conflict resolution from your siblings. Maybe you learned it from your friends. Maybe you learned it from the culture and media, but everyone somehow learned what they're supposed to do, or what they're at least going to do, whether or not they should, when there is a conflict. And again, a lot of people learned, well, I just shut down and don't do anything and uh I, well I just I, I just I erupt in anger well I, I tell people 
I just kind of tell it like it is because no one's going to tread on me. I'm not anyone's doormat uh, or, or uh, well, I learned that, so on and so forth. So everyone, so everyone has been heavily influenced by watching someone and it's multiple people resolve conflict. The only question is, do we watch good or bad examples? And I would suggest that in the vast majority of cases, most of us have not had great examples. Okay, most of most of us have not had grown up were watching really good examples. And so even those of us who did would probably benefit from uh, looking, uh, checking our own understanding of how to reply to conflict. Okay, so uh, just a question to ask yourself um, if you are, well, I guess particularly if you're an adult uh, is where, who were the first people that you watch and kind of maybe unknowingly learn conflict resolution from? Who were the first people that you observed and kind of, it's not taught, but caught conflict resolution from? And then was that, what, what elements have you carried into your marriage, for example, if you're married, uh, that you learned? And then all of a sudden maybe caused tension because your spouse brought a different understanding of how things work. Yes, sir. Your parents. Yeah, absolutely. So our parents are, are probably the most common example, but there are many other Many other examples. Let's talk about some unhealthy approaches, and these are some of the ones that all of us have seen. Um, the first is these kind of more, I would say, violent responses, not necessarily uh, physically violent, but attack and counterattack. So we're going to have fight responses, then we're going to have flight responses. I'm going to engage, I'm going to push in, I'm going to push back, or I'm out. Those are kind of the two ways most people tend to engage. Um, the first is responsibility shifting. Uh, th this is, th this. I mean, sometimes this is just called blame shifting, but when there's a conflict, this person uh, just cannot take responsibility for it, and so they push it back on someone else or something else. Uh, and so I've written this down here. This is the progression of a blame shifter, if you're really taking someone to task. Uh, it wasn't my fault. Okay, it was actually both of our faults. Okay, so long as you can, so long as I can bring someone down with me, okay. Uh, no, it was my fault, but you share blame too, and you need to own it. See, I'm pushing it back on somebody else, right? Okay, it was my fault, but given why it happened, are you seriously going to hold me accountable for that? Are you, are you, are you kidding me right now? Did you see the context in which this happened? I mean, it's not, geez, lighten up. Okay, it was my fault, but anyone would have done what I, what I did. Yeah, you're right, it was my fault, but I mean, you would have done the same thing, so. Okay, it was my fault. And I'm responsible, and I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's where you get at the end of the. No, no, no. That, that's not the responsibility shifter. That's where you. That's where the person maybe finally gets as you progress and work down this list. And so you can shift blame. To, when we say blame shifters, we're usually talking about other people. But you can shift responsibility and blame onto things that aren't people. I'm shifting it onto my circumstances. I'm shifting it onto my body. I'm shifting it onto other people. I'm shifting it onto my past. I'm shifting it on. Uh, to this, and certainly all of those things play very, very important, influential roles in affecting uh, who we are and even how we behave, but they are not the controlling sovereign factor in our behavior. They do not determine the character of our behavior, and if you remember the, the C.S. Lewis quote from last time, that conflict uh, does not make us angry people. It can just show us what how angry of person we already are. Okay, Every this, is, this provides an opportunity to show what is already in my heart. Okay, 
what is already how many layers down deep in the onion is going to be exposed. It's not going to create sin in that moment. It's going to expose the kind of person I already am. So, uh, one, this kind of counterattack, responsibility shifting. Anything, but it's my fault. I'll, I'll be okay with that. And, and if I can, again, bring someone in with me or make myself feel, share your responsibility, I just do not want to own up uh, to this. It's someone else's fault. Uh, and let me ask this question here. Why do you think it is, even if you know it's wrong, I think we all know it's wrong, but why do we have a deep-seated desire? There's probably a couple reasons. Why do we have such a deep-seated desire to shift responsibility off of ourselves into literally anything else? What do you think? What are, what are some reasons? Where our first thoughts when something happened is, how is this not my fault? Like, what are some ways I can, you know, what is this? What are the, we start with, what are the ways this is someone else's or something else's responsibility? Why do we have a, such a deep-seated desire to do that? What do you think? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's so we're going to actually we're going to cover that under the uh, flight, not literally running away, but you're fleeing from actually resolving the or shutting down. Yeah. Quiet. Yeah. 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 So you had so so you're saying that in your context, you wanted to shift responsibility off of yourself so you didn't experience fear. Oh, I see. Oh, I want to avoid. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's not my fault, then my, I can't. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah. It helps me get out of consequence. What else? What other things? Yeah. Mm. Yes. Good. Yeah. So, so responsibility shifting helps me hide guilt and shame. And, and the feeling of so guilty, I did something wrong. Shame, I am something wrong. Something is wrong with me. Only this kind of person would do something like this. That's the difference between guilt and shame, right? And so, yeah, so shame wants to hide. But guess what? If someone can reach, if you can reach into your heart and say, oh, this really isn't your responsibility. This is your circumstances responsibility, your past's responsibility, it's this other person's responsibility. Oh, you know what? It's not really even, it's just shared response. Anything, help, we, we want, none of us, none of us want to feel shame. It's one of the worst feelings uh, in, human experience, in the human experience. And so certainly shifting responsibility helps us cope with shame. Yeah, really good. Anything else? Any other reasons why you think that we have a deep-seated desire to shift responsibility off of ourselves. Yes, sir. Good anger management. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be able to discuss those things, bring them into the plain light of day. Yeah, good, good. Anything else in terms of why we have a deep-seated uh, deep desire, a tendency to want to shift responsibility? Okay, so fear of man overlapping pride, right? So, yeah, I mean, hey, if this isn't my fault, these people aren't going to think that I'm a, you know, uh, uh, someone who isn't, yeah. I'm, I'm, all the words I was going to use, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so I was, yeah, anyways. Yeah, so people are not going to think less of me and then I would like them to. 
if I say this is not my fault. Someone else's fault. I still maintain my pristine image of being a super competent person or a super smart person or a super organized person or a super compassionate or whatever uh, kind of a person. Okay, good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, most of the time that they are in well, many cases they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to get to that too. Yeah, that's a great. So just for the, the, the camera, the video recording here, the idea is, okay, well, when we both sinned, but in my judgment, this person's sin is far greater. This is in their court. Like, I'm not, you know, maybe I've sinned and I'm wrong, but hey, no, no, no. This is, they're, they're coming to me groveling. And then I might say, you know, at the very end of our conversation, and, and I'm sorry too. Okay. That happens a lot. Okay, yeah, I, the, the only other one that I put on here, everyone got the ones that I was thinking of, was it, it kind of still overlaps. It's just identity or insecurity. And that does go to kind of what LJ said, just this idea of um, who am I, who, who, who I see myself, and who people perceive me to be might change if I've got to take responsibility uh, for this, okay? But I will say this, ironically, let me say from a leadership perspective, people want to follow folks who are quickest to take responsibility. You know, as much as it might uh, make a leader cringe to have to step up and say, Yep, this happened on my watch. It's my fault, and I ask for forgiveness. Uh, now, sometimes sin—I mean, sometimes sin has consequences, and someone's got—you know—depending on what happened, sin still has consequences. But the, the, the kind of the kind of the, the kind of people that really show their character are the people who can own their sin, not be crushed by it, ask for forgiveness, and move forward. And that is hard to do, especially before a bunch of people. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Someone's doing it just to what? Yeah, then that would be uh, a pride. That would be pridefully sinful. Yeah, pride can sneak into anything, though. Even your even your weeping and wailing apologies. In fact, I remember one pastor who was talking about humility, and then he said, while I was preparing this sermon, I thought they're going to think I'm so humble, and then I was started experiencing pride. Uh, I, I think, yeah, certainly you could go up there just to to look good because the human heart knows no end to to wickedness and putting slants on things, and, oh, man, this is going to make me look so good what I'm about to do. Yeah, but it's still sin. Still sin. Okay, so, so that's responsibility shifting. What about assault? Again, I'm not primarily thinking of physical assault, but this is using verbal force uh, or physical force and intimidation to make others give in. Let me. What are some popular kinds of assault in, in conflict resolution? One, intellectual assault. I'm a very intellectual person. I know my books and my reading and my big words, and I'm quick on my feet, and I'm kind of witty, and I get people. Yeah, I just get people going. Like, they can't keep up, and I just got question after question, and I got a zinger here and a zinger there, and people, you know, they just can't keep up, and so they just say, I'm not even going to do this, and they just they, they just lay down, okay? I'm bullying someone. Like, you can, you can bully someone intellectually, Okay. Um, and I have, I'll, I'll share a very shameful example of this from my own life. In college, I was in this college class. I, I could not stand it. The, the whole the name in the catalog was misleading, or I wouldn't even be in the class. It was some English class studying these, this poetry I had no interest in, but it had philosophy in there, and I was a philosophy major, and I was trying to get this English requirement. I get in there. I'm reading T.S. Eliot, wishing I could do anything but that. Um, April is the cruelest month. Yes, yes, the wasteland. Um, 
And I, I'm very embarrassed to confess that I started talking to my teacher and I knew that she would not know what I was saying because I was talking about some things in advanced philosophy and even symbolic logic uh, and, and Bertrand Russell developing predicate calculus and blah, 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 blah. And I said some things that weren't even right. And all she did is sit there and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I felt so self-satisfied like with how smugly I talked over her head while she continued to nod her head because she didn't want to admit, like, not only did she not know what I was talking about, but if she knew what I was talking about, she knew what I just said didn't even make sense. Um, and so I just wanted to like stick it to her. Okay. And that is very embarrassing to have to confess, but I, but I did, it's a great example of intellectually bullying somebody. Okay. Okay. What about abusive language? I don't think I need to give a lot of examples of this. It could be everything from shouting and cursing. Um, this could be insults. Uh, this could be bringing up the past in a kind of a weaponizing way. Hey, we've been over this. You've asked forgiveness. Why do you keep talking about, remember what you did? Okay, I'm going to bring up the past and use it as a bat to hit you with when you mess up. Okay, you don't have any leg to stand on because you did. Don't talk to me. We all know what you did, you know, so on and so forth. Um, what about relational punishment, social threats? Uh, here's what you're because you do this. Here's how I resolve conflict in my home. You're going to go to relational timeout. You're going to go to relational timeout. You know, when you get to get out of relational timeout, when you've earned your way out, maybe you've groveled enough. Who knows? For some people, it's flowers. For some people, it's uh, endless sorries and tears. For some people, it's just you have to do your time in the relational timeout prison and just hope uh, that it ends. So maybe that's how you that's how you deal with it. You put people in relational timeout. Uh uh, and that could be, you know, relational. I mean, every, it could be sexual timeout, okay? It could be emotional timeout. It could just be a communicative timeout. There's a lot of versions of timeout that you can use to weaponize and, and punish uh, your pe people around you, uh, and, and uh, at least in one of those cases, hopefully only your spouse. Um, and how about this? I'm going to embarrass or shame you socially, Okay? You know what? Because you did this, I know, I know, I know who everyone's around. I'm about to wear you. I'm about to say some things that are going to make you cringe. I'm going to bring shame upon you in this context. Okay? Oh yeah. Maybe it'll even sound like a prayer request. Please pray for my my husband struggling with uh, pornography. Like, hey, I didn't, I didn't know you're announcing that prayer request there, honey. Thank you for that. You know. Um, Shame. So intellectually, intellectual force, just the, my language, bringing up the past, relational punishments and social threats. Great ways of attacking. And my guess is everyone at one level or another, and I hope you didn't see any of this in your home, but everyone at some time has seen this or done some of these things themselves. I guarantee it. No one's immune. Everyone has done some of these things, most likely themselves. Uh, and then the final one is being passive aggressive. Okay, this is that person who has a very smug self-righteousness because they're great at never losing their cool. So they sit there, and as you get all uppity, they sit there and internally smile. Um, and by the way, I just have, this is the, if I had to, if I, if I gravitated towards any of these in my sin, it's this one, okay? It's the person who doesn't lose their cool. They feel really good about it. They make these very calm, very smug little remarks um, that do not help at all. Um, it, it makes the, it makes the other person yell and scream more while they sit there calmly 
and as they have another sip of their coffee while this other person is melting down. Because they aren't yelling and screaming like the other person. Remember, uh, well, I don't want to go there quite yet. So yeah, the passive-aggressive comments. I'm sliding these little things across the table that are little ja are jabs. And so maybe sometimes they're deep wounds, but at least they're like little needles. I'm needling somebody. I'm doing it very calmly. Um, in fact, I remember one of my seminary professors gave an example. <laughs> oh, so bad. He said he was not happy with the way his wife was keeping the house or whatever. And they were driving home one night from, a, I guess, a dinner party or something. And uh, <laughs> he was driving home and all I said is, he said, did you enjoy the time? And his wife said, yeah. And he said, Diane, she keeps a nice home, doesn't she? Just kept driving. And apparently they had got into it a little bit before. It can be just those little, those little comments, right? That is passive aggression. What I, and then when you get called on, a, called on a carpet for it, what do you say? Oh, all I did was point out this person's house. What's the problem? Okay. All I did is make an obvious observation. You're all upset about this. Look, and now I'm, I'm counterattacking. Okay, I'm trying to undercut. Hey, why are you? You should back off of me. Now I'm being defensive. Okay, so passive aggressiveness, passive aggression, uh, the final way to uh, a, a fight response that we're going to talk about. All right, what about the escape responses? This is going to be more so the flight, but this is just escape from things. So first is just, just deny the conflict, Okay. You know what, As, uh, upon further consideration, there isn't really a conflict. It's just sometimes personalities clash, okay? I've had this before. I, I remember one example I saw explicitly. There was this obvious conflict, and one guy came up to another guy, took his hand out, and said, we both have strong personalities. That was it. So for him, there wasn't a conflict. It was just two, you know, it's kind of two heavyweights getting in the ring, and then they, you know, there wasn't a conflict. It was just that's how it happened, okay? Well, there's not really a conflict. Okay, what seemed to be conflict was just, you know, two, two, two personalities clashing, necessarily. There were no conflict, per se, so therefore, nothing needs to be resolved. So that's one way. You deny that there is a conflict, and therefore, you don't have anything to go reconcile, right? How about this? Deny your role in the resolution. This is part of what Ben said. I know I didn't act my best, but they acted worse, so the burden is on them to come to me, and I'll wait for them to do that. They should, after all. Don't make it about me. I was the victim of their actions. Now, let me pause and say that in particular instances, there is wisdom in probably delaying something like that. I'm thinking of very, very extreme cases, and I don't even want to give examples of them, okay? But if someone did something violently horrific to you, and, like, while they were assaulting you, like, you know, you used a bad tone or something. I mean, I'm not saying that, 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 that that's, the, that's the right time to reach out and, and uh, uh, apologize to the person who... Uh, assaulted you because you didn't have a good uh, I'm that could be part of the but but that could be maybe part of it down the road if your conscience accused you uh, but remember that in conflict we'll get to this later even if you're responsible for one percent you're 100 percent responsible for your one percent okay sin is still sin sin is still sin Okay, so so you still have so if you're gonna deny you're gonna deny your role in the resolution of conflict and reconciliation because in your judgment the other person had the greater sin, uh, then then you're just escaping. Well, I'm just gonna wait for this. It's too bad. I know I sinned. I know I did wrong. I know that was wrong. I'm not going to go confess it. I'm not going to go do anything. They need to come to me. Okay, um, and I would suggest that what we're gonna see is uh, that's not the posture that we should have. 
And again, there are some practical cases, and I'm hoping no one asks any questions about it. It would be horrific, where I think there's some wisdom in uh, what that might look like. But generally speaking, we don't want to deny our role in resolution just because we think the other person's sin is greater. Okay. Well, how about this one? Ignore the conflict. Oh, wait, of course I have been, my notes different. Acknowledge, uh, acknowledge the present. Oh, I know oh, I do have it. I just added this for clarity. Acknowledge the presence of a conflict, but ignore it. Okay? Like, so, yeah, this, this is the most common version of just not resolving conflict at all. I was doing some marital counseling, premarital counseling the other day. And I said, you know, one of the things I always, always want to talk about premarital counseling is how do you resolve conflict? And I said, if you had to grade your scale on a scale of one to 10 on how you resolve conflict, you know, what, how would you, you know, what would you say? What would you grade yourself on? And I like to ask them separately, like without them hearing the other, so, you know, this is great. It's like, okay, you step out of the room now. You tell me one to 10 and them step in. Because otherwise you get the band says one thing and the woman's like, oh, oh yeah, 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 eight, eight for sure. Uh, but anyways, so they said, yeah, about, uh, I believe they said like, yeah, seven or eight out of 10. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I said, so what is, yeah, what is like, what is confession and repentance and forgiveness look like? And then the apologies and stuff. And they were like, we don't. We really do that. We just we just kind of we just kind of move on. It's like, okay, well that doesn't sound like you're reconciling anything. That sounds like you both acknowledge that there's a conflict. He goes and plays golf. You watch your show. You come back and you just keep kind of keep going with with smiley faces. Okay, um, and so we're going to talk about hopefully at the end here. I'm going to what are you doing on time? Okay, I got 11 minutes. All right, we'll, we'll try to move through this here. We're going to talk about overlooking an offense. But uh, overlooking an offense is different than ignoring a conflict and sin, okay? This is just saying, hey, we're just going to move on. And I did this as a kid with my brother all the time because we play, play, I had a twin brother, Chase, grew up with him, playmates. We'd play, 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 play. Something would happen, conflict. It could be everything once it was, he threw a shoe at me and it went through the wall. He, we, I, I did plenty of uh, awful things to him. And what did we do? Did we really come together? We, we, we talked about our sin, didn't we? We came and I asked him for forgiveness and he asked, no. What we did is we just played in separate rooms for a while. I was like, hey, dude, you want to play Nintendo more? And we just moved on. Okay? Ignore the conflict. Then this, and then this is the saddest one, relationally bail. All good things must come to an end. Yeah, you know, I've found, that, especially over the last, sadly, 24 months, maybe more, that a lot of people have no relation, no muscle memory for the for the following phenomenon. Two people uh, in a relationship, there's a conflict. You actually work through it, and things perhaps are even better in terms of your relationship on the other end of the conflict than they were before. And instead, there comes a conflict, and it's like, all right, I'm just not compatible. We're just gonna we'll be we'll be amiable, right? We'll be friendly, but we're not gonna be we're not gonna have a relationship. We're not gonna be friends. It's like. That for that person, every relationship is just one conflict away from being destroyed. There's almost no concept of no working, actually working through it, and even multiple times. Okay, so it's time to relationally bail. I'm out. All good things must come to an end. Okay, well, let me give a high level. Under, any questions about that, by the way? Any questions about that or anything to add? Okay, I'm going to give a very high level of a peacemaking framework that I think comes out of Scripture, and then we're going to spend the next couple of sessions working through each of these, but I'm just going to give you the flyover, and then we're going to talk about overlooking an offense to close out today, okay? The first is reset our perspective and our priorities. Uh, that I want to pause. 
conflict. First step. I want to pause. Reset my perspective on priorities. My priorities, excuse me. Am I trying to love well and glorify God here? Or am I trying to exact relational justice, lay down the wood and punish somebody? Okay? Have I tried to understand why this person might have behaved the way they did towards me? Okay, have I tried it all to even understand, like, what? how could I give the most charitable interpretation to what they did? Uh, is this an offense that can be overlooked? We're going to talk about that. But I want to glorify God, I want to love well, and I want to pause until I can go into the conflict understanding that those are my goals. And if I'm too clouded by my feelings in that exact moment, I need to pump the brakes until I can reset my perspective and priorities. The second is going to be start with yourself. It's going to be start with your own sin, which is so counterintuitive when you are in a conflict. Because what we gravitate to, what I gravitate to, what you gravitate to is the other person or the circumstance or whatever it is and what they did. Okay? How they offended me or hurt my pride or, or embarrassed me or whatever the case may be. Um, and so instead, uh, I want to start with myself. Where might I be in sin here? Okay, before I start considering, there's a, where might I be in sin? Uh, what might I not have done as wisely or well as I could? That's a helpful category to consider that most people don't. That's oftentimes a really good practical tool in peacemaking. You're not saying that you did something. You may not have done something sinful, but you may say, you know what? I didn't do this as wisely as I could. Or, you know what? I could probably have done this better. Okay, that doesn't mean that what you did was wrong, but you could always do things better, perhaps. Um, you can still say, I'm sorry for things, and we're going to go over this, without apologizing and repenting and asking for forgiveness, okay? Just because you say, I'm sorry, does not mean you are owning sin. You can genuinely be sorry for someone and something without saying, I need your forgiveness because you got your feelings hurt because you misread my text message. Now, I can be sorry. I really am so sorry that you were hurt. That's not literally what was, I mean, and, oh, I, I see that I misread that. I kind of brought my own hurt upon myself. But nevertheless, I can still express sorrow. But I want to start with myself first. If this person is, con is confronting me about something, where might they be right? Are they right in 1%? Is there 1% of what they're saying that's right that I might say, okay. Really bad delivery. Really bad delivery. But hey, you know what? They may have a point on, on this one point, even if you chuck the rest. Start with yourself. Third, thoughtfully engage. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about this. Um, what's the best medium for this, depending on what the conflict is? Should I really be texting someone or calling someone? Oh, but emails and texts are so impersonal. I love them because I don't have to look at someone's face. And I, and I don't have to reply on the spot. I get to think thoughtfully uh, about for as long as I want about what I'm going to say in return. And no one has to start crying, or at least if they do, I don't have to see them. And, blah, blah. and so, all right. So what is it going to be? Should we meet? Is this an in-person conversation? Is this a phone call? Is this a Zoom call? Maybe this is something that's an email. Maybe it's a text message wisdom. Is this the best time for it? Your spouse, uh, you, you, you come home from, maybe you come home from work or your spouse has been with the kids all day. They're exhausted. It's like, all right, time for a confrontation. Like, do you think that's probably the best time? Is that a good word in season? Is that a word? Probably not. Okay. Probably need to wait for a season at least until uh, pe confronting people when everyone's exhausted doesn't uh, go well. And then finally, depending on the conflict plan for the future. So this is very helpful. Moving, if it, sometimes this is, this is not going to be applicable, okay? But sometimes it needs to be, okay, well, moving forward then, how about fill in the blank? You said that when I say this, it hurts you because of why. I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. I had no intention. That, I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry. I had no idea that you would even associate that. It wasn't in all my intention. Moving forward, I'll make sure when I'm trying to communicate X to say Y. Would that be helpful? Okay, so I'm planning for the future. I'm, I'm okay with making mistakes, but not the same mistakes as yesterday. Okay, I'm planning for the future conversationally, socially, relationally. Hey, this person, I have a friend who, who hates uh, who hates getting uh, text messaged. It annoys him. And when you follow up with him and say, hey, did you get my text? Like, just call me, just call me. So guess what? I just call him. I just call him. Plan for the future. Moving forward, I'll just give you a phone call. I won't even, I won't even worry about it. Okay, well, very briefly, uh, let's talk about overlooking an offense as we close here. Look, I've got four minutes according to my watch. Uh, when, when should we overlook an offense? It could be grace to overlook an offense. Love can cover a multitude of sins applied in that particular way. But when should we? Because if we're all honest, sometimes we want to overlook an offense just because we don't want to deal with it. Right? Oh, I'm going to overlook this one. Remember, we talked about the sin of the zealot is always easier to identify than the sin of the coward. The zealot is loud and rah, 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 passive-aggressive, very obvious. The coward sits there in silence and can hide behind a lot of Bible verses. Okay? I'm just being slow to speak. I'm just listening. I'm just, I'm just, letting, I'm just overlooking an offense. It's like, how, okay, well, what, but are you being a coward and not saying something when you should you just kind of letting the water pass under the bridge. So it's a really good, really, really good question to have in your mind, or you'll end up avoiding conflict and justifying it in your mind by I'm overlooking an offense in grace. See that? So how do we know? Let me just ask, ask three questions in practice. First, you're going to pray for wisdom, okay? But then ask three practical questions. I hope these are helpful. The first, as I think about what happened, will this offense or conflict create a wall between me and this person moving forward or cause me to feel differently toward them, or think of them negatively for more than a very short period of time. Okay? As I think about overlooking this offense, is that feeling of animosity, or this isn't going to happen again, My relation, um, I've relationally checked out, do I think that that's going to continue? Or do I think that's something that, it was, that, that uh, is not at all? It's not going to hinder my relationship with this person moving forward. And so I'm going to ask that question. I want to have that as a first line. Second, will this offense cause serious harm? If not to me, to the name of Christ, to others, or the offender um, themselves. Okay? Is this something that has meaningful consequences? Not just my hurt pride, not just my hurt feelings, perhaps. But is this something that has more meaningful consequences? So the hurt feelings one, the first question is supposed to get that. Is it, or the hurt feelings and the I just I just I'm not going to be able to move past this because there was a burr in my soul from what happened and it's got to be removed if we're going to continue relationally. Is that that's the first question? The second one is a consequence. It's more of a practical question. What are the consequences of this? What are the consequences? Are there harmful consequences? And then finally, is this a one-off occurrence or a destructive pattern? Okay, is this something that someone you see over and over and over and over? Or is this something that was that you saw that was shocking, uh, or something? It's not necessarily the act shocking, but you were surprised by it because it was a one-off occurrence. Was it a one-off occurrence, or was it was it a pattern? And I would suggest that you we should be moving forward and confronting patterns, uh, but perhaps a one-off occurrence, depending on what it was, 
uh, certainly could be overlooked. And then finally, let me just ask, let me just say, excuse me, that it's okay to ask wise counselors, wise men and women around you, just provided you're not gossiping and giving details about things, okay? You don't want to go ask for counsel in a way that goes and tells your story for a good PR look so to get people on your side, right? Uh, and you want to ask, you want to talk with people who will tell you the truth, even if you need to own some of the, some sin yourself. You don't want to go to your yes men and yes women who just kind of tell you what you want, make you feel good, while you tell them the version of the story, the other person doesn't have an opportunity to even present their side, okay? So want to ask wise counselors while being mindful not uh, to gossip. Okay, so those three questions. Is it going to create a wall? Are there, is this going to cause serious harm? Is this a one-off occurrence or a destructive pattern? Um, and then perhaps I consider bringing in wise counselors while being mindful not to gossip. So a lot here. We're right at time. Uh, please come ask me your questions. As you can tell, some of this stuff can get messy. Some of this stuff can get, uh, well, is in the gray area, and, there, and, and wisdom operates in the gray area. Okay, and so hopefully this is a tiny little template uh, give you a couple practical tools to help navigate when to overlook an offense in love so that you are not using that as an excuse to actually not uh, move forward in reconciliation, okay? All right, let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the ability to consider these things again, and we just pray that we'd search our own hearts and see where we tend to either shift blame or make excuses or um, overlook, uh, not, be, not necessarily because of love, but if we're honest, overlook an offense primarily just because we don't want to deal with it, because we don't like conflict. We love our ease and social peace and all the rest, and we could just spare the hurt feelings and move on. Uh, we pray that you would uh, convict us of sin where we need to be convicted of those things, that we'd have the conversations that we need to have uh, so we could live before you in the manner which we should. Be with us uh, in our next hour, Lord. Would you be glorified by the preaching of your word, by the uh, singing of songs, by the prayers, uh, by uh, the supper. In Jesus' name.